everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, we're reading Exodus 8 and 9, and we're going to spend our time talking all about the plagues. What was their purpose and why were they significant? So let's jump right in as today's reading begins with the second plague. We read in Exodus 8, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, look, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. So like into literally your kitchen and your bedroom and everywhere in your whole house. Verse four, the frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the question we're asking is what was the purpose of the plagues and why were they significant? In short, the answer is that God used the plagues to remind and encourage Israel that he was still, he is still, and never stopped being God of their fathers. For example, he is keeping his promises to Abraham. But they also show the Egyptians that he is the only God and that their gods are powerless. Let me say that again. God used the plagues to remind and encourage Israel that he is still and never stopped being the God of their fathers. But they also show the Egyptians that he is the only God and that their Egyptian little G gods are powerless. Back in Exodus 6, this is super important. Back in Exodus 6, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Exodus 6 verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Verse 5, moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Verse six, God says to Moses, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Some translations say mighty acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. So we see this foundation that God has remembered his promises to Abraham. And there's a specific promise that he will free them with mighty acts of judgment. So remember, God used the plagues to remind and encourage Israel that he is still and never stopped being the God of their fathers. For example, he's keeping his promises to Abraham, but they also show the Egyptians that he's the only God and that their little G gods are powerless. So enter the plagues and Exodus 7 verse 5, let me show you why that's true. 7 verse 5 says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. God's showing the Egyptians who he is. The Gut Questions website answers the why behind the plagues like this. 
The Israelites, they'd been enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years, and in that time, they'd lost faith in the God of their fathers. They believed he existed and worshipped him, but they doubted that he could or would break the yoke of their bondage, free them from slavery. The Egyptians, like many pagan cultures, the article reads, worshipped a wide variety of nature gods and attributed to their powers the natural phenomena they saw in the world around them. There was the god of the sun, the river, childbirth, crops, etc. Even like the annual flooding of the Nile, which fertilized their croplands, to them was evidence of their god's powers and goodwill. So when Moses approached Pharaoh, demanding that he let the people go, Pharaoh responded by saying, Exodus 5, 2, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Thus began the challenge to show whose God was more powerful. The article concludes. So what about these plagues? What was the purpose behind each of the ailments? The first plague, the Nile turned to blood. It was a direct judgment against several Egyptian gods, three to be exact. And I'm going to struggle with these pronunciations. So number one, Apsis or Apis, A-P-I-S, the god of the Nile. Number two, Isis, I-S-I-S, goddess of the Nile. And number three, Knum, K-H-N-U-M, guardian of the Nile. And many Egyptians thought, or really genuinely believed that the Nile was the bloodstream of Osiris, O-S-I-R-I-S, who they believed was reborn each year when the river flooded, which is another little G-God worshipped by the Egyptian people. So again, we remember God used the plagues to remind and encourage Israel that he is still and never stopped being the God of their fathers and to show the Egyptians that he's the only God and their little G gods are powerless. So each day we can see a similar correlation. God's showing the Egyptians that their gods are powerless. The frogs proved Heket, H-E-Q-E-T, a frog headed goddess of birth to be powerless. The Egyptians thought that frogs were so, so, so incredibly set apart. Some scholars say they believed them to be so sacred to the point that they should never be killed. So What did the Egyptians then do when their land is overloaded with frogs? The gnats, the third plague, proved Set, S-E-T, the god of the desert, to be powerless. And the magicians couldn't duplicate it. What does that mean? Well, we can't forget these plagues show the Egyptians that their gods aren't great. And some say, hey, the Egyptian magic was demonic, literally from Satan, or that these magicians created illusions like magicians today, which makes sense because frogs, something like frogs would be way easier to catch and incorporate into a trick. Whereas gnats, for some reason, just seems to have stumped the magicians. And now scholars have differing views here as to why they couldn't duplicate the gnats. But either, either way, God was still proving himself to be more powerful. They couldn't do it. The flies, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this one, proved their fly God to be powerless. Yes, the Egyptians had a fly God. The death of the livestock, the goddess Hathor and the god Apis. I'm not going to spell them. You, you know, you can look it up. Who were both illustrated as cattle were powerless. Boils proved, hey, the God of Israel is power over their health and disease gods who have more super hard to pronounce names. Hail confronted three of their gods, Nut, the sky goddess, Osiris, the crop fertility god, and Set, the storm god. 
Again, God used the plagues to remind and encourage Israel who he was and to show the Egyptians who he was. And it's super neat when you when you zoom out for a second and you think about this to see God's intentionality as he proved himself ruler of the universe to the Egyptians. He could have just freed the Israelites. He could have started with the Passover. He could have started with the Red Sea. But we serve a God who's intentional. Think about the intentionality that the specificity, the attention to detail with which God chose to reveal himself to the Egyptians. It almost seems counterintuitive what I'm about to say, but how gracious of God, how kind and and how undeserving were the Egyptians for him to intentionally meet them in their frivolous beliefs and show them just how much greater he is giving the opportunity, giving the Egyptians the opportunity to release the Israelites and come to know him. He was proving that he's the only God. It's crazy the lengths God will go to introduce people to himself. He's powerful, above all, mighty, a caring and protective father. He protects the Israelites. He demolishes the gods of the Egyptians. And yet they could see him as a caring father, caring toward his children. They could see him as a powerful God, destroying all of their belief system. Even still, they reject him. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why did God send so many plagues? I cannot help but think of them to some extent as a severe mercy, chance after chance after chance for the Egyptians to surrender to Yahweh. Nevertheless, they resisted. Pharaoh resisted over and over and over again. And God, in justice, I mean, the Egyptians did mistreat his chosen people. God, in justice and caring intentionality, meets the Egyptians in their faulty beliefs. Chance after chance to let the people go. And Pharaoh resists God every single time. And we read the story And we identify with Moses. You grow up in church, you sing the song, let the people go. But the truth is, we're an awful lot like Pharaoh. I mean, more like him than we'd want to admit. Sure, if you're a believer, I don't mean in the salvific sense. What I mean is that we can resist God's direction in our lives, his instruction to us over and over and over again. We can to put it plainly, just neglect reading his word, the Bible. And you know what? That neglect, that failure to prioritize the things of God, to listen to his voice, that choice looks an awful lot like Pharaoh than we want to admit. But the good news for us is that the Israelites, as we'll see, they, they will continue to mess up. They don't have a perfect track record. They're going to neglect God's instruction time and time and time again. But God is going to continue to work through them all the while, despite their shortcomings. Might not be fun for them at times, but he's still at work. Today, we can't meet any standard of perfection that God desires, but thanks be to him, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. as we'll talk about more when we get to the Passover. He won't, we won't achieve perfection on this earth. So as I, I read this story, 
and I find myself identifying more with Pharaoh, I'm thanking God for the truth of the gospel. He's simply asking for surrender. And he meets us when we fall short. If you're a believer in Christ, you're going to get it wrong. And that's okay. Remind yourself of truth. And if you're not, you have an opportunity to choose him today, to place your trust in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Our sin, it separates us from God, but that's not how God designed us to live on this earth. So that's why he sent his son, Jesus, down to the earth to live a perfect life, taking the punishment we deserve for our shortcomings by dying on the cross. And he rose again, defeating the grave so that those who believe in him, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, who confess their sin, acknowledging their sin before God, might find life and life to the full. We don't earn it. We can't buy it. We're not saved because of whatever family we're in, simply by faith. That's all we've got time for today, but share this episode or let us know how you're on the journey. Tag Watermark Church. We'll put all those contest details in the description. But as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe, because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.